Boys and girls, and welcome to episode 228 of the Motorcycle Man podcast, and another wonderful interview episode for your listening pleasure. And as always, the Motorcycle Man is brought to you by Scorpion Helmets. For the last 15 years, Scorpion EXO has been dedicated to offering high-quality, innovative motorcycle helmets and technical apparel at an incredible value. Some of the world's best helmet and apparel designers spend countless hours developing and testing Scorpion EXO products to ensure that each and every Scorpion EXO helmet and garment will surpass user expectations. So to learn more, go visit scorpionusa.com. Also, Shinko Tires, whether if you are riding a sport bike, a scooter, some sort of off-road bike, a dual sport or a cruiser, a Harley, doesn't matter. Shinko has a tire that will suit your needs and your riding style without breaking your bank account. So if it's time for tires for your bike, think Shinko. Go to ShinkoTireUSA.com and tell them that the Motorcycle Men sent you. The Motorcycle Men podcast is supporting David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. If you would like to help out and be part of something that actually makes a difference, donate today to David's Dream and Believe Cancer Foundation. Go to davidsdreamandbelieve.org to donate. Links will also be in the show notes. And the Gold Star Ride Foundation, helping families of fallen soldiers and making a difference in the lives of those left behind. If you would like to be a part of some great cause, then get some heartfelt miles and go to goldstarride.org and learn how you can participate in the next Gold Star Ride. All right, it's time to talk about your safety while you're on your bike. Everyone knows that when you're on a bike, you want to dress for the slide and not the ride, you know, because accidents do happen. And, of course, Road Rash does suck. That's why I love the gear from our sponsors over at Tobacco Motorwear. Tobacco is known for making the best-looking riding jeans on the planet. That's because they start with premium fabrics like selvage denim and canvas, and then they add protective elements like comfortable anti-abrasion linings and armor. Now, other brands will make you look kind of like a stormtrooper or like you picked up a pair of those saggy dad jeans from your local Walmart. But tobaccos are so stylish that you are going to want to wear them every time you're on your bike. And even also when you're not riding. They have multiple fits and styles of protective jeans for men and women. So you can find something that matches your style. They also make jackets, vests, and riding shirts. And you've heard me say it before. Time and time again, I love my California riding shirt and my tobacco riding jeans. And I wear them every ride, you know. I just won't ride without them. Not only that, nearly every time I wear them, somebody asks about them. Now, Tobacco believes that the safest gear is the gear you will actually wear. That's why they make products that look good and protect you while you're riding. And tobaccos are made to last and made right here in the USA. So no need to sacrifice style for safety or vice versa. So go check out TobaccoMotorWear.com. That's TobaccoMotorWear.com. And listeners, get all of this. Listeners will get 10% off your order when you use the coupon code MOTOMEN. Your safety is worth it. So get over to TobaccoMotorWear.com right now. Now, there is no lack of motorcycle-related podcasts out there, as you know. There are many, and while they are all about motorcycles, they are still very different. Each have their own topics, their antics, and their routines. 
and in some cases their personnel. But what if there was a motorcycle podcast that took place while a ride was happening? And that ride just happened to be going around the world. Well, my guest today is just the person to tell us all about that. Here, joining me all the way from, where are you from? San Diego, California, North Oh, County. sunny San Diego. Mr. Alan Carl. Is that, did I pronounce that correct? Absolutely. Good pronunciation. <laughs> Alan, you've, uh, you're the, the host of World Rider Podcast, but not only that, it's more than just World Rider Podcast. So wanna, tell us a little bit about your motorcycle self and what you do. So I have... Motorcycles been in my blood since I was a very little kid. In fact, there's a there's a photograph. I must be about six years old, and I'm sitting on my dad's. Uh, I, I believe it would have been a 1966 67 era old Honda 175. Is that the one I'm looking at on the website? Yes. Oh, okay. Wow, yes. pretty cool. Yeah. Is that yeah? Is that that the little one there? There is yes. a photo of me looking like a little towhead, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, but um, my dad uh, you know, actually grew up in Connecticut, so even though I'm in California, so I'm, I'm an East Coast uh, roots like you. Anyway, uh, my dad and his father had an auto body business back in uh, Connecticut, and he would also go out and tow cars, and it uh, was uh, a problem for him. He would see a lot of accidents, a lot of fatalities with motorcycles and cars. So growing up, my dad, even though he had a bike, he would not let any of his kids ride a motorcycle. Uh-huh. So... I had to sneak my way of, to, a, to a friend of mine who lived in Stanford, Connecticut there, and we would ride his little Hadaka dirt squirt, take it on a trailer to a dirt park uh, out there in, uh, in uh, New York near New Shell or somewhere there. But, uh, but that, that's kind of started. But when I moved at, uh, to California, uh, I didn't have enough money to buy a car. So I bought a motorcycle back when I – first graduated college it was an old suzuki gs 450 and it really when i you know and again i'm probably 20 years old at this point and my dad uh you know i says look i'm not under your roof anymore i can ride a bike <laughs> yeah. so anyway and that fast forwards to the point where at um you know in if several years ago i decided to quit my job sell most everything i own and hop on a motorcycle, a BMW by this time, to uh, originally I thought I'd just got to travel to the bottom of Central America. And then I thought, why stop there? Let me go to the bottom of South America. And then I thought to myself, well, why am I going to stop there? I should just do the whole world. So I took three years traveling on a, a 2005 BMW 650GS and uh, 35 countries, five continents. Um, in the middle of that, in the Altiplano of Bolivia, it's a whole other story, I broke my leg. So there was a bit of an interruption in that, and I had to get medevaced back out of Bolivia, back to California to get uh, that pieces of my leg put back together. And I, I left the motorcycle in Bolivia, and then, you know, many months later, went down, reunited, and continued that trip. Wow. <laughs> so you had a brief interruption with a broken leg. <laughs> yeah, brief. <laughs> Just a brief interruption with a broken leg. Uh, now, what was the timeline here with, with with regard to starting the podcast and or starting your journey? With, I, I have to assume the journey started first. 
Yeah, the journey started first because podcasting. Uh, so I started this journey in mid two thousands. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and at that time, especially when I first started, podcasting was just that was just off the ground in infancy. Just off the ground, and I I had a a, a friend of mine, another fellow musician, and uh, he was um, helping. Um, uh, I I can't remember, but anyway, there was a there was a, one of the more at that time popular podcasts. He was helping the. Uh, the guy do the uh, audio production and uh, really got me excited. I've always been a, a audio music and uh, and interested in uh, storytelling through him in as many ways I can. And right. I um, oh, pretty sounds. Pretty sound. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'll turn that thing off. Anyway, coming back to that answer. So I, I, uh, my my friend uh, really said. You know, you should do a podcast. So i I took that um, I took that as an opportunity when I uh, was back here in my my sick bed in uh, California. I decided that I would do a new unique podcast and make it more travelogue. As I met people along the way, interview them, uh, talk, just make it a, a more of a converse, conversation, like we we're sitting around a dinner table or around a campfire or whatever. And that's how the World Writer Podcast evolved. So, you know, it's probably very early on. And uh, while I wish I was up to episode 220 some odd, you know, it's uh, far and few between. But they're always rich, great characters and great stories that we share. Yeah. So so when did you actually launch it? What was the launch date of your first podcast episode? So the launch date of the podcast would have probably been in... Um, January or February of 2006. Wow. Look at that. You're like, so you're, yeah. like you're one of the pioneers of the motorcycle podcast genre. Wow. Look yeah. at you. Wow. You, yeah. you, do you have a t-shirt that says something like that? I, I need to get one. You should have one, you know, that states all that. Wow. That's amazing. Now, so what was your inspiration to just this starting this trip? And to, well, you know, what moved you to do this? Was it well, just, you know, life just saying I'm done and just head out there? Yeah, it's it pretty much. Yeah, I, I was definitely done. You know, I found that I was, um, you know, I I had started my own company. I was in the marketing and branding business, and you know, slowly grew it. And eventually, I thought uh, at this time, at the at the early uh, millennium, the early two thousands, I thought um, I saw this. Uh, you know, with all these internet companies going big and making millions of dollars on crazy valuations for these things, I thought for sure I was gonna make millions of dollars and be done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, um, things like the dot bomb crash of the early two thousands and then nine 11 put those dreams to, um, uh, to, to rest. Cause it was going to be a lot longer uh, road at that point. Yeah. We, we had been, we had built up, a, a um, with some partners of mine, this company, uh, but we were burning through a lot of cash, and we um, we needed money. We were trying to find money, and at this time, it was impossible to get investors to uh, to put money into these kinds of uh, very uh, risky ventures. Yeah. So, so what happens is uh, somehow we did convince a private equity company uh, out of Chicago to put some money in, and it wasn't long after that that I realized that those people, the managers, the uh, powers that be of the private equity firm were not somebody I'd like to have over sitting around that dinner table or that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's bad. 
So um, we, we had a big corporate meeting in, um, in 2001 at 9-11. It was 9, 10, 11, and 12. It was in the uh, Hard Rock Hotel in um, Las Vegas. And I woke up that morning, 9-11, to news of the planes hitting the towers. And having had a meeting with those uh, uh, investors the night before, I just had the, woke up with a bad taste in my mouth. So we continued to have our meeting through that week, and um, and then eventually we came back to California, and I just had this sinking feeling. I was married at the time too, but this di- just didn't feel right. So I sat down and I wrote a re- resignation letter. I told my wife at the time, I'm done. I just can't. I don't like these guys, and I don't think they're going to do what's right for the company. And uh, let's figure out something. And from there, uh, it moved into. <laughs> from there. Uh, quitting my company, the ver- marriage eventually ended in divorce, amicably, by the way, very okay. amicably. And um, and then what I did, what I, I I started doing what I always did. I started another little company, but kept it small, a little consulting. And then I realized, what am I doing? I'm just doing the same thing over again. So I said, yeah, I read Neil Peart. We can talk about Neil yeah, a little bit yeah. here. We just, uh, yeah. So at that time, I read Ghost Rider. It's a, it's a book about Neil Peart's the drummer for the rock band Rush, for those of you that may, may not have followed the news. Uh, he recently passed away. Um, he had, um, in the period of a year, his daughter. Uh, his wife. Yeah, his daughter died and his wife died. And he found himself as an empty soul with nothing. Those two things, even though he was... Had all the fame and fortune, he lost the things that are most important. He, he, he used the metaphor, a great writer in music and in, in literature, he used the metaphor that, you know, when my daughter was young and we couldn't get her to go to sleep, we'd just get in the car and drive around a bit and she'd fall asleep. So he equated that to what was wrong with him at this point in this, this, this healing he needed to go through from yeah. the herd of losing that. He hopped on a motorcycle and traveled all the way to Belize, to Mexico, to, you know, up into Alaska. Yep. All, all yeah. over. And after I read that book, I, I said, Ted, I said, I, this, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. You and a million other people, you know, yep. and, and you actually did it, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, you actually did it. Wow. So today, I know we, you briefly went over this to date. Uh, how many continents, countries and miles have you written? So the the tally today because I continue to do this you know I did one three year trip and now I do um, long th- three four month trips uh, every year so I have been through eighty one countries wow. on five continents and I've traveled um, on those trips uh, a total of a uh, hundred and thirteen let's call it one hundred and fifteen thousand miles wow that's amazing that's I mean really that's very, very impressive. <laughs> and you, but you're not done, though. You say you're not done. No, you know, I have this crazy idea that I can do, I can visit every country on the planet and do it on a motorcycle over land. It's very ambitious. and uh, It is extremely and, ambitious. I think there's maybe two, maybe one or two you can't. Yeah, you know, Antarctica becomes a problem. Yeah, a little um, bit. And there's certainly a lot of small pockets, you know. You're not going to um, you're not going to do Easter Island, are you? You know, I it, it, it it's a kind of a bridge too far. I mean, I've done Chile. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, it's no bridge at all actually. No, 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 not really. That'd be a long boat ride and it's a very short ride. It might not be yeah. worth it. <laughs> no. 
but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to try to hit the, 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 the big ones, you know, yeah. the, the, as much as I can, I've done a lot of Africa. I've done a lot of, um, uh, almost all of South America. Um, I've done most of Western Europe and I've been doing Eastern Europe recently and I'm moving into Central Asia soon. And I've done um, China and a little bit of Vietnam and Indonesia. Right. Um, but but there's still more in Southeast Asia I got I got to tackle. Well, you did say you want to hit Australia. Oh, absolutely. Got to hit Australia. I after, mean, you yeah. know. after it stops burning, you got to get yeah, down after- there. Yeah, absolutely. Just Australia, New Zealand. You know, there's a place called uh, Kangaroo Island I want to go see. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, I listened to an audio book uh, not, not long ago. A gentleman who rode a diesel-powered motorcycle around uh, Australia. Wow, a diesel-powered Yeah, I will, I will send you the link to that book. It was very, very interesting. Quite funny, too, yeah. actually. So I'll, I'll send that off to you. So now why don't you tell us about the bike that you used for this? So... T- so it's a it's a it, it's pretty interesting. People say BMW, and immediately they think of the boxer, you know, the twin, right? Yeah, so yeah. I I ride a, a BMW. I still ride on the same bike. This one bike has been to all those places. Um, F650 GS 2005, and it's the Dakar. So a couple points that are important about that bike. First of all, it's a Rotax engine. Now BMW doesn't still has bikes in this line. They don't really have a 650 like this. They now have a 750, and uh, they're twins. Yeah. But they're the Rotax, yeah. Isn't it the and, same engine that's in the Can Am? Yes, in the well, oh, okay. yeah, is it in the Can Am? But Rotax, you know, they, yeah. yeah, it's Bombardier. You know, oh, that's okay. the so that's Can Am, right? Yeah. Um, and it has a, a, a 17 inch rear tire and a 21 inch front, which as the non version okay. of the uh, Dakar. Um, has a uh, uh, 19 inch front wheel and you know everyone says well two inches does that really make a big deal yeah. on a shit road with <laughs> crap and potholes or just dirt you know that extra two inches smooths the ride out of oh, it sure. and uh, and it, and it's uh it's 650 cc's i've done you know all i've done is adjust the valves uh um, that bike has had very little maintenance. I think I just, the water pump, or it's not really a water pump, it's a water impeller, uh, went this last year when I was in Bulgaria, uh, or Romania actually. And then, um, you know, a couple clutch cables and a throttle cable once and, uh, tires and chain and sprockets. So now, did, well, as far as it goes for, now you used this, say so you used this bike on the, on that entire three year journey and it yeah. held up well, I guess. Very well, even yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, now, I, now, how about the maintenance of it while you were on the road? You, you said you had to replace some cables and chains and stuff like that. Was that difficult while you were on the on those travels? No, you know it's amazing because um, you know I can do uh, a bit of the maintenance. It's you know it's it's, a, it's fuel injected and it's you know yeah it it yes it definitely does and it doesn't have a. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't have a, a sophisticated computer, but it is an electronic uh, uh, ignition as well. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. so there's there's certain things that if, if, they, if they did go wrong or could go wrong, that would be very difficult to fix. But when you're just talking about, you know, a clutch lever breaks because you fell or, you know, you got to change the oil, you got to replace sprockets, you need new tires, you got to flat. These things are very easy to do on the on the road. And, it, and it's amazing that whenever I... Um, would stop and I think there's nobody around and I stop on the side of the road. Maybe I want to take a picture. I'm in like northern Brazil in the most remote part of that country. And I stop to, you know, oil my chain, let's say, 
And all of a sudden, there's 20 people come out of nowhere. Really? Yeah, and, and this did happen to me in Tanzania where my I'm just cruising along and I'm heading towards um, uh, the uh, Serengeti, you know, the big wildlife park where the, sure. the, the wildebeest crossings go. And, I, and I'm cruising along and I grab the clutch to go into the next gear and right then it goes whoosh, and I'm like, oh, shit. The clutch snap. Um, now I was I I was kind of pretty uh, in prepping for that trip. I actually threaded cables on there so they were redundant. But you still had to get rid of the old one, and then the, yes. the new one new one needs to be stretched because you know it's 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 so new it's never been used. And I was on the side of the road and I couldn't get the the end of the cable to 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 the, to the uh, gearbox. <laughs> and this guy. And 20 guys come and they all want to help me. And there's a picture on my blog eventually of this guy. He must be about seven feet tall and he's got my old cable in his hand and he's grinning with uh, ear to ear. And uh, these guys help me. So it's uh Well, that's it's awesome. That's, yeah. that's wonderful that you can meet all those people that are willing to help. And I hear that on many stories from many riders who do that kind of a thing. How many sets of tires did you go through? Okay, how many sets of tires did I go through? So on the original trip... Um, I believe there was uh, seven rear and four front. Wow! And I actually, I actually have it in my book. You know, I, 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 I documented it. I don't always retain that to memory, but yeah, I believe it's seven. Um, there's a there's a section in the back of the book of uh, modifications I made to the bike and things like this, and, and I and I put down how much fuel I use because I tracked all of that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. How did many you, photographs? Did you have to change any of those tires while you were in the middle of nowhere, or I mean, or did you just do that when you went from stop to stop? Stop to stop. Yeah. So, so it's really interesting. You know, when you travel around the world and you meet other people that are on sort of some sort of journeys, whether they're on a long round the world journey or they're just doing South America or wherever. For you know, Cape Town to Cairo is a big run for some people. Right. And I, I, ne I never forget running into one guy who was headed in Patagonia. He, he had, he had. Been in Santiago in Chile, and he was headed to the very bottom of the uh, earth to Tierra del Fuego. Right. And you have to go down through uh, Argentina. It's, a, it's called Ruta 40, or Route 40. And it's a shitroad of uh, just sharp rocks, sand, and um, it's a bit of a hell. And I had met him. Um, he had already gone down and done this, but he told me that on that road, he, well, he, he told me when he was in Chile, he decided not to buy a tire. He says, I'll buy it when I get to Tierra del Fuego because I think I can get another <laughs> thousand miles off of the tire. And yeah, the tire famous last words. <laughs> and he said he had to place that tire. I mean, he had to patch that tire because these are tubes, right? I got tubes. I got spoke to wheels. He had a similar bike, a KTM, and he had to do the same thing. He had to, uh, or rather, he had to patch that tire five times. And I said to him, I'll never do that. If I think that I don't have another opportunity for 2,000 miles to get a tire, but I have 1,000 miles left on that tire now, I'd rather just buy a new tire. Yeah, yeah. And either strap it to the back there so I don't have to deal with it. Right. Yeah. So to answer your question, I was always prudent. Put the tire on. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish. Right. Let's do something. Uh, I'm going to pause here. Um, let's kill the, uh, the video. Uh, because I think it's affecting okay. the bandwidth because you were getting a little herky jerky there for a second. All right. Okay. We'll just drop. Okay. I can so leave. We'll I can probably leave mine. I'll tell you what. I'll drop mine out too. All right. And then I'll turn it back on after okay. the interview. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. There's the videos going. Okay. Good. 
And this way, this way, what we won't have dropouts again. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's the, eh, but you never know. Yeah, you you were you were dropping out on a couple things uh, right. there, but uh, yeah, it was sometimes it, it it it's it builds up, you know. It seems to build and then uh, stops and then it catches up, like in uh, uh, like fast forward. Yeah, know? exactly. You're right. You're right. Yeah. All right, we'll resume in three, two, one. So now let's let's talk about your podcast now. It, it's interesting in that it's it is a travel log, and it kind of like yeah. follows. You can follow you along as it's happening. Um, what challenges did that pose for you while doing that? The challenge, you know, the challenges are are, are exactly what I'm sure you deal with. Even you know, like when you do your live or your studio versus the 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 interviews, is you always have to find the time to now go back and listen and edit it. Mm-hmm. And I try to do interesting things. I like to put uh, nice music fillers in and uh, and and give it uh, more of a journey, like the journey itself, rather than just uh, uh, talking heads and not you know letting it run. You know, sure. I got to take out the, the ums and ahs. I mean, I don't get too anal retentive about it, but I want it to sound good and make sure that my guests on the podcast also sounds smart and good. So if they say something, you know, that, so the challenge is always finding the time to edit. Cause you know, editing audio yeah. or video, it's a solo process. You just got to lock yourself around, <laughs> put some headphones on and you can't talk to anyone. No, the other, the other, the other challenge is, of course, um, much like we did at the center at the beginning of this podcast is getting people to understand, um, you know, how far to speak from the microphone, not to tap on the tables and to keep the, uh, you know, the the most high level of uh, audio uh, production quality that you can. And I use this uh, Roland. Um, it's called the R5, I think, uh, R8, it's R something. It's a, it's a digital recorder. It's great audio. I don't even use an external microphone. Um, and this is when I'm on the road. Um, and... I, you know, I basically have to sit it on a table. I've got to worry about ambient noise and make sure that we are both equidistant from it because it's a stereo microphone. Yeah. And and the quality, it, it's 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 pretty amazing. There's a few in there. I found challenge. I said, well, I wish I'd I'd listened to that. Now I also do podcasts like you over Skype. And um, when I'm when I'm back here, I get travelers to call in to me, sure. uh, or I'll interview uh, other authors, the travel writers, and things like that. Right. Um, so so when I'm not traveling, I try to keep that going. But yeah, it's it, it it's tough, but it's fun. It is really fun. You know, as much as I like video, I like photography. There's just something about and and, and as you know, why you know, look how how your following has just grown over the years. People yeah. love podcasts. They've become such a uh, important, you know, whether you're, you're, you're working out, people like to listen to them. They're driving somewhere. They like to listen to them. And it's, um, well, it, it's you know, fun. And there's, there's, there's a podcast out there for everyone, regardless of what your interests are. It could be basket weaving. And I promise you, there is a podcast about basket weaving. You know, <laughs> fortunately we're not doing that here, but, um, but now you've, you've recorded some of your episodes while you were on the road, correct? Oh yeah, most of them. I mean, yes, exactly. And and I, I can say if you go way back, and you, they're all on the iTunes. But there's a there's a great one. There's there's a couple of them. Or, uh, you know, we got caught in the dark, and you don't like to when you're in South America or Africa. The last thing you want to do is be riding your motorcycle in the dark. And I had a wild camp with another rider, 
in South America. And we decided to do a podcast inside our tents and the crickets are loud and it's um, it's just it's it, the ambient sounds yeah. are so fun. And then another time there's a very in Bolivia, there's a very famous salt flat. It's the largest salt flat in the world. It's it's um, it's called the Salar de Uyuni. It's about 4000 square miles. It's so large and it's also the highest in the world. It sits at about 15,000 feet high in the Andes. Oh my god. It's visible from space. Yeah, and they they use that big blotch of white. And it makes the, you know, it makes the Salt Lake uh, uh, salt flats look like a playground, but yeah. uh, they they use it to calibrate satellites. But anyway, I camped out there with a with a Texan guy who was riding a KLR I ran into in, in a little town. And, and we're out there under the moon on this salt flat with nobody there. So those are kind of the fun um, little uh, on-the-road episodes. Wow. And, and now, now, as far as it goes for now that you've recorded it, have you been uploading your episodes when you're on the road? Or do you yes. wait till you, you have been? So, yes. so that poses another challenge because now you're reworking on, you know, where's that reliable internet? Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, with with um, with the audio, it's it's a lot easier than I. I mean, I keep up a YouTube channel too, and oh, yeah, uh, I didn't know that. that yeah, that um, that's much more difficult because the video files are obviously a lot bigger. But audio, and I and I use you know for the geekies out there, I use Libsyn is my um, <laughs> host. And, um, and it's, uh, and I've got templates up there, so it, it's, it's good. As long as I get, uh, some decent Wi-Fi, you know, it might take a little bit of time, but with patience comes, uh, comes greatness. <laughs> it comes great results. Yeah. Or at least exactly. satisfactory. Well, when it is, and here's going to be an interesting question for you. Now you've interviewed a lot of interesting people, uh, on during the course of your travels throughout three years. Now did the. Did the itinerary dictate the interview, or did the interview dictate the itinerary? Great question. Um, in 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 the early days, the um, the itinerary was no itinerary. And when you meet somebody oh. interesting, you gain their confidence and say, "Look, I would love to to do this." I had a great podcast in this uh, motorcycle hostel, if you will. Um, in, in, uh, in Buenos Aires and there was a bunch of travelers, a bunch of motorcyclists and we just, you know, it's out of random. I never even knew this place existed. Put the recorder down and we had a great conversation. And then more recently, I am um, working on a new book project oh, and it's it, part, part of what I love. You know, I love uh, my last book, Forks, had uh, a lot of um, uh, recipes from all the different countries I've been to and uh it was it never planned. I never planned to do that. That just kind of came as I yeah. as I was writing the book Post Journey. So this time I'm writing a book called Corks. I love wine. You know, I mean, it's nice to go and have a nice glass of wine with a good meal after sure. a long hard day of writing. So it's going to be called Corks. It rhymes with forks, and <laughs> um, and it's a journey through the lost vineyards and forgotten farms of Eastern Europe. That's at least the working title. Nice, we'll see. nice. Yeah. So. On this, I have had an opportunity to uh, also interview um, traveling winemakers and uh, chefs and uh, other other people that are in that culinary and wine business. So I've had to make appointments, and uh, and sometimes the itinerary is dictated by getting somebody uh, in time, you know, while they're in town. Oh, that's cool. 
Now, have you have you ever have you ever done a um, a brewer or winery tour by motorcycle? Yeah, you have. How yeah. do you how do, how do you finish the tour? So so this is one I'll tell you. And there's a in the country of Moldova. Now Moldova borders on one side of it um, Romania, on the other side of it Ukraine, mm-hmm. and uh, it also has the Danube River mm-hmm. uh, and kind of the confluence of the Black Sea. So mm-hmm. just to give you a geography there. And they've been making wine there for hundreds of years. But um, they have what's known as the largest wine caves in the world. You have to drive into them. They do tours wow. on, um, on in you know cars and things like that. So I was able to ride. It, it didn't take my motorcycle in there, but I had a, I met a guy who had a Ural sidecar. Okay. And an old Russian built sidecar. And, you know, here we are in one of the former, this was a former Russian, you know, USSR country anyway. And we're riding into this, you know, I want to say there's like 30 miles of caves, believe it or not, in this place in in Moldova. Um, That is a a fascinating um, experience to be underground in this old rattly planking. Ural whipping around where they are storing wines for you know, you know more than fifty years, sixty oh, years in there. That is amazing. There's a um, up in upstate New York. If you ever get around the side, the side of the United States, there's a there's upstate New York. There's this winery tour that they have. It starts in Cooperstown, where the Baseball Hall of Fame is, and there's nine wineries and breweries along this trip. And if you do that, you can do. They say you can do it in one day. If you don't drink, <laughs> but one of my friends who is on that route, he owns a winery. He says you you can do it by motorcycle, but you can't have it. But if you try to do it and stop at any place, you can't finish it <laughs> because you're sampling along the way, obviously. So, but uh, that's pretty interesting that you would do that. <laughs> yeah, I you know we this is this is the the biggest thing. I you know I never and never say never. Um, cause there are a few circumstances, but that, but if I am tasting a bunch of wine, I, I was in Slovenia a couple years ago and this family, the four, five generations, it's, uh, you know, we, we, I was there, I interviewed them. I did a little, um, podcast that still hasn't been published yet. Some of these wine ones I'm, I'm holding off on, but, um, but they, they, they kept opening more bottles and more bottles. And I, had, <laughs> I, I, had, I had, I had come there on my motorcycle. You know, it was parked in front of the winery, and I thought this was going to be an hour and a half interview, and I would taste a handful of wines. And my hotel was only, you know, two miles away. But by the time that night was over, like three in the morning, there's no way I was getting back on that motorcycle. Oh, no, so, no, no, absolutely. Not. So, so, so this uh, one of the other, um, you know, they had some friends show up and uh, gave me a ride, and I just left the bike there and picked it up the next day. But yeah. No, you could never finish. Uh, not not by bike. No. That's for- <laughs> of all the places you have been, is there one place that you would return to over and over again if you could? I, you know, I, I usually tell people that I I don't ever like to go back to a place another time because there's so many new places I want to learn and explore. That's not the that's not the first time I've heard that. Yeah, but I will say this. You know, it, it more than the more than the place. It's always about people. Yeah. 
Um, there's so many people I would love to go back and see. Uh, like the 105-year-old guy I met in the mountains of Lesotho, which is an enclave country inside of uh, South Africa. Um, I write about him in my book. And, um, and Or the... Um, the uh, back going back to the Bolivia. That's not, why do we always go back to Bolivia? But uh, I met. I had a problem there. I did have a a minor accident, and I had a a guy who owned a little uh, car shop kind of help me uh, straighten out some racks for my bags on the bike that got twisted. And he was back in uh, the late '90s, the rally automobile car rally champion of Bolivia. Ooh. And this guy was hilarious. He he had he had three phones always in his ear. He's sitting there with coca leaves, jamming them in his mouth because you know that's that's where coca the coca plant is grown. Sure. And he, and they use the leaves to you know among other things it's a stimulant, but it certainly keeps your uh, from it's very high in the in the mountains there the altitude sickness. Right. But I, I would love to see him. But but the one place I have been back to now three times over the years is Argentina. No kidding. Yeah, I love Argentina. Buenos Aires is a awesome city. It blends a little bit of Europe with Latin. Um, it's also got red rock deserts. Uh, it's got two oceans. It's got glaciers. It's got beautiful lakes. And it's um, uh, it's got penguins and bears, if you can imagine. Oh, so. It's a really, uh, and I and I love the spirit of the Argentinian people. It's 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 um, it's different than uh, the rest of South America, I think. And and the food, uh, I mean, I mean these are natural grass-fed uh, cattle, and great steaks, and then of course, in the Mendoza area, which is pretty high altitude near the Andes, is uh, a great wine region. So I, oh. for me, it's everything. Wow, you got you moving. I, you know, if if I, I say you know if every you know if the if the shit hit the fan here in this country for whatever reason, that's where I would go to. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I mean, they do have a, a very large German population down there. Absolutely, they do. You know, yeah. a, a lot of uh, shall we say uh, escapees from World War Two. Yeah. And and even some defectors. You know, there's a town called um, Belgrano, Villa Belgrano, I think, and it's named after a ship that sank off of Uruguay and all of those Germans decided not to go back to Germany but to start a community so it, it, it literally is a it's like it looking like a German town um, but everybody in, speaks uh, Spanish yes everybody speaks Spanish that's yeah. amazing wow you would think they would bring their own culture with them but I guess not that's pretty interesting After uh, generations I guess yeah. yeah so what's the most memorable moment you've had of all those places you've been um I think the most memorable moment happened in Syria. Now, I was able to go through Syria before it got really complicated. Yeah. And two things happened to me in Syria. First of all, they wouldn't let me in initially. Uh, the rules for the Syrian visa are that you have to get it. If you have diplomatic relationship with uh, – if your country has a diplomatic relationship with uh, Syria, you're required to get it at the embassy or the consulate in your home country. Now, I've been on the road two years by the time I got to Syria, and yeah. visas only last for six months, and um, there would have been no way I would have been able to do that. When I got to the border, uh, and I said, you know, with my motorcycle, it's a land border of Jordan to Syria, and the guy pushes me. He doesn't speak any English. It's all Arabic, and he pushes me the website of the consulate of Syrian embassy in Washington, D.C. Right. 
And he says, go there. I'm like, yeah, great. So I, I did, uh, long story short is I, I pitched my tent there and I refused to leave until they convinced me. And I eventually did. And before I, they let me in, they uh, once again stopped me just before the border. And you have these guys with the AK-47s and a big iron gate that they have to lift. Uh, the, and he says, no, you can't come in. Wait over there. The, the chief inspector wants to see you. And I think, great, what's wrong now? And then I sit down. They, they make me move the bike out of the way so other cars can go through. Sure. And a few moments later, the chief inspector and two other guys who looked really mean start coming down the steps. And uh, But they're carrying a tray, and on it are three cups of tea. And they say, for you, Mr. Carl, Mr. Allen, we must have tea, chai is what they call it there, yeah. chai, before you go. And... Uh, and on the ground uh, in front of us, the dirt ground there, this one chief inspector draws the outline of the country, the shape of Syria. And he starts putting dots about places. He says, you should go here. You should go here. So he became my kind of tour guide, so to speak. And, and once I did come into the country, um, you know, within an hour, it's a small country, but I was heading towards, uh, towards Damascus and I stopped to get some fuel, gas. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the gas station looked abandoned. The pavement was all cracked with grass coming up. There was no pumps that had little credit card readers or anything right, like that. Yeah. They were rusted and they didn't even, uh, the dials were like frozen. And uh, I kind of get off and I look around and there's like four guys sitting inside, greasy room, big, those 55 gallon drums of something are all surrounding them. And they're sitting there eating uh, off of this plate. Um, They've got pita bread and they're eating some sort of salad and uh, and they they're kind of startled when I walk in. But then the guy they don't speak any English. He pulls up a chair, sits me down, he hands me a fork and a piece of bread, and he <laughs> says, he points to that and they and they fed me this meal. And then and later they give me the gas, and they won't take any money for me for oh, wow. the gas. So that 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 whole Syria thing, because you know, and it, part of it was I had so low expectations, I think. But wow, and then. And then, in retrospect, looking at the, um, you know, what's happening now, it just it breaks my heart. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. I. You know what? I did. You make it to Iceland. I did. Oh, Iceland's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, it's great. It's great riding. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've never ridden. I spent two years there, but I've never ridden there. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. What were yeah. you doing there? Well, Can I switch that around? <laughs> uh, so interview me now. Um, yeah. I was in the Navy at the time. I was stationed oh, there. Wow. But yeah. uh, beautiful island! Oh my god, absolutely gorgeous place. Yeah, it's 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 a um, yeah. I you know you people you keep asking like, what's where would you go back to? I would definitely go back to Iceland. Um, I did it in the summertime because they wanted riding weather. But I, I would love to see the aurora borealis. You know the northern lights. Oh, that never... was always beautiful for me. Every time you would see that, and uh especially in the winter months because obviously well it's winter all the freaking it's dark all the time so you got to see it all the time but uh it was just you didn't have to go far you're right there it, you're right you're absolutely right there yeah it was wow beautiful stuff um but now i, now I was looking at your website beautiful website by the way absolutely Thanks. i mean really well put together website you've covered all the bases wonderfully um, my, but my question to you is, and I was looking at your packing list of everything you packed, and it's almost, I'm reading this, I'm like, he must have been towing a trailer because <laughs> you had so much stuff. Did you think that at any point you overpacked? 
Oh, absolutely. I did overpack. Oh, my God. Yeah, I... Uh, boy, you know, it's like you say, if I, if I knew that, if I knew then what I know now, uh, I was so overloaded. And, and on that journey, several times, I, I shipped some things back home, um, for sure. And as I continued to travel, I realized that if you don't touch something in a week you probably don't need you never yeah um yeah so i i definitely overpacked for sure and uh but but you know you you learn um now i'm pretty pretty efficient but i probably still overpack you know being like doing podcasts doing video and i'm a photographer i've got a lot of technology that i um and i carry and i think that right there is the biggest anchor that the motorcycle traveler, depending upon who you are now, I know some of these travelers that I've interviewed, they, they're really minimalists uh, when it comes to this. At the same time, many of us, my, my, I'm included, I'm guilty of this myself, I like my technology and I want to use it uh, if I need to. You know, I want it there. And yeah, it's like a boat anchor though because there's so much of it. It, it truly is. And you know, it's, it, it's funny as we were talking before coming on the podcast and I noticed... Uh, your guitars hanging in your studio there. I mean, I, I, I almost thought about bringing a small guitar, you know, like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, see? see, this is, this is not, so not only technology, a little bit, um, a little bit of music. I did run into a motorcyclist in, uh, in South America carrying a guitar. I was like, Oh, wow. That's fascinating. But, uh, yeah, no, I, uh, you get smarter, but, uh, technology is the, is the nemesis you know i you have to have backup hard drives you i got cameras with lenses i got you know my audio recorder microphone uh, things like this but you know what i did notice on your list your personal hygiene items uh list was longer than your riding gear items yeah why is that? I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we go through yeah, that? Yeah, I, I mean, mean I, I like that you had all the, you, you got the Advil. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that was the first on the list. And, and I, I, don't th- I don't think that's just because it's, you know, alphabetical, but I, there. And, you know, Imodium, yeah. so you were preparing yourself for some things, right? <laughs> right? You bring yeah. out the food. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I, I I can see. I mean, I mean, it's obviously obvious things. You know, like you know, you your deodorant because, well, I guess you're not going to be showering every single day. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's it. It's uh, you know, it's funny, and you know, part of some of those, um, even the first aid items on there. I mean, I had so many things like, I brought, what was I thinking? I'm going to really. I mean, I did. I, I broke my leg, but none of that. None of that stuff would. Uh, <laughs> A band aid. Would would, would <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, what was the you know I had like a water purification purification tablets, um, you know if if I was doing backcountry hiking and um, backpacking and alpine, I, you know, who knows? But uh, I never really needed that stuff. Never. Right? No. Well, I mean, but as far as it goes for your handy items and gear maintenance, th- that list was shorter than your, uh, you know. Your, your personal hygiene items too. So. Yeah. I, I'm gonna have to go look at that again, you know, because I haven't looked at that list in a while. But you know, I was just happy that I kept they, before I left. I literally wrote all that stuff down because I. Oh I yeah. Said, there's a there's a photograph. Um, I don't know if it's in. Yeah, it is. It's in the book. And when I got back, even after sending stuff back, I I had my bike shipped from Europe to 
Baltimore. And then my brother uh, lives outside Washington, D.C. So I, you know, that was like the first stop after the three year journey. And I, I'll, I'll never forget taking everything off of the bike doing a quick inventory and setting it out. He had in his basement a huge, you know, ping pong table. Right. And I put it all on the ping pong. It wouldn't all fit on the ping pong. So, so some of it's on the floor. So I took a photograph of all that stuff. And it's uh, it's in the book. Funny. Wow. And then yeah. you realize, man, I, you know, I, I just recently did a trip from New Jersey to the Florida Keys. It was a little over 1,300 miles and, you know, down and back. And I, I kept this in my mind you know like i because I, I listen to all these uh audio books and travelers such as yourself and what they're packing and i'm like i don't you know number one rule don't overpack don't overpack and i'm looking at this I'm, but i need all this stuff you know <laughs> <laughs> i need this you know but I, I even though you have this extensive list did you ever think man i wish i brought fill in the blank yeah that's a that's a really Good question. And nothing jumps out at me because um, it usually was the other way around. Where is this thing that I know I <laughs> So you've packed something, but you don't know where you put it. You don't know where it is. You know, you try to be so organized at, 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 at first. But uh, yeah, um, you know, I. The, nothing, nothing I, I, I can say that I really need because you know the other thing is that when you're when you're traveling, riding, and this is why the, it's the nemesis to the overpackers like us is that you know you can find most anything anywhere. anywhere. Yes, yes, you can. So yeah. uh, um, you can you can get into the mindset. Look, I don't need to buy it. I'll get it when I get there, and if I don't need it anymore, when I'll, I'll just either get rid of it. Or I'll just ship it home. Yeah. Yeah, I, I met a guy and I rode with him a bit, you know, a couple different guys. But, but one guy we nicknamed Dr. Light because, you know, he didn't even have motorcycle boots. And I think that's a travesty because, you know, your uh, protection of your ankles and your feet is it's, it's, it's crazy. He was wearing in uh, essentially um, tennis shoes. But, uh, but you know, he... He prided himself. It was to, to almost to a point where it was a joke. He's like, "Oh yeah, man, my toothbrush. I cut off half of it because I don't need it." You know? <laughs> wow, that's that's a <laughs> little save, bit a bit extreme. To save the weight, yeah, totally. Hey, hey, look, I noticed you didn't mention in your list anywhere snacks, foods, or drinks. Didn't need to do that. No, I mean, I I think I probably uh, in 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 more current trips, more recent trips. Um, I bring a few energy bars and, um, you know, yeah. nutrition bars, but no, um, you know, just uh, the, the, the part of what's fun about traveling. And even if it's, you're in a place where you're only going to find junk food is eating the local food. And, um, you know, the other thing is I always, you know, you always buy water and make sure you have the water with you. Um, because that's a, a, a mandate and that's necessity. But sure. other than that, no, I didn't. Um, but didn't what about what about when you're in places like down in Chile and uh, even parts of Argentina where you're actually in the middle of this massive desert and there's nothing? I mean, do you have bottles of water with you, or did you yeah. use a, did you use a Camelback? I did have a Camelback, but I found once again that I, I didn't like the taste of the water, especially because it would bake and sometimes the sun and it just would be, get so hot. So I would buy. Um, bottled water 
okay. and usually like a like a three liter bottle and I had a specific spot on my bike. It, it was good. And I would, I'd usually have two of them. Um, and that was, that was, that was it. Just always making sure I had water. Don't yeah. ever be lost. And then if I knew I was going into these desolate areas, of, of course I have a, 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 a cooking kit mm-hmm. and I might buy some, uh, ramen, some noodles, some of those quick, you know, whatever boiling water can, can give you. And I, I would have that. And then, then I might buy some snacks, right. um, preparing for, uh, a trip. But from the onset, I didn't pack any of that. Yeah. A little tip from Ted with a camelback, put the camelback on first and then put your jacket on over it. Cause what this does now, it insulates the camelback from the outside. You have the extra layer of insulation, and your, your liquid won't get hot inside. Not only that, if it's very hot out, the coolness of the liquid that you have inside the Camelback will come through, and you'll feel it through your shirt. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a good idea. Okay, of course, tip uh, uh, Of course, the, the downside to this is what happens is the Camelback starts to sweat, and then it runs down your back. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, but there's a there's a little tip for you because that's I, I like to travel with the Camelback. Unfortunately for me, when I did my uh, Florida trip, I did not bring my Camelback, and I regretted it the entire way. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so you learn. So, so you learn. So there you go. You yeah. you as much as you packed for that trip, you forgot the damn thing. See, camel. that's it. Yeah. So uh, tell us about your book, uh, Forks: A Quest for Culture, Cuisine, and Connection. Three years, five continents, one motorcycle. That is a very long title. Yes, it is. Uh, I like to refer to it as forks, but uh, you know, when you're uh, searching and googling and or being in a um, uh, a bookstore, uh, all those things, you know, try to, to to isolate what is the hell is this book about? Because it, it it's like me being the overpacking. I want to do everything and have everything. And the in the, the the book is actually a coffee table book, hardcover, oversized, full color, and it breaks down my three-year journey, the initial journey, into uh, 36 chapters. 35 of those are the countries, each country that I visited. So each country is represented by stories about usually connecting with people and um, photographs of those people and the places and a recipe, at least one, uh, usually the national dish of that country. Because I felt when I came back from this journey... I traveled alone, you know? I did yeah, alone. There was yeah. no support group. There's nothing. And I thought, God, how selfish of me. I, I, I really want to share this trip. Uh, and the only way I could figure the best way, and it was a suggestion, after cooking a meal for some friends, they said, I was working on the book, and they said, why don't you include the recipes? Yeah. And I didn't I didn't collect these recipes on the road. I mean, I ate a lot of food. And traveling alone, I tended to take pictures of my food a lot because I was bored. And um, when I came back, I decided that I the only way to share it is to do it as mostly, um, you know, uh, as a rich of an ex- experiential book as possible. So having photographs and the flavors of those people, you know, flavors and the culture of those people sure. represent through their food. So it's, um, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, I've been a bestseller, you know. I got featured on Good Morning America with this book. I've nice. been very hum, very humbled by the response, and mm. I get great reviews on Amazon. And uh, and it, but it's a passion project, you know. It's a. Uh, I had a deal with a publisher at yeah. the time, uh, a, a tentative deal. And when I 
hit them up with the follow-up pitch to this after talking to my friends and they said, let's do some food. I was uh, talked out of it, or at least they said they really wouldn't want to support that book. So rather than um, do what they wanted me to do, which was just write the travelogue, I decided to, to go after this the way I did my original trip, and that is alone. And I pr- pr- produced, published this book, and I, I ran a Kickstarter campaign that oh, ended there you up go. very successful, too. So it's in its third printing now. Um, nice. And... And and I love it because it, it really does bring, as I like to say, it brings the world to your table. Oh, that's awesome. Now, let me ask you this question. Uh, what, what about turning it into an audiobook? Is that a possibility? Yeah. No, I really want it. It's, it's such a good idea, Ted. I, um, I've got a friend who's a business writer. He's done several uh, successful uh, business books, and he recently converted them into audiobooks. So I... It's on my to-do list for yeah. sure. And because, and the thing is, what's great about that is because you know you are a podcaster, you have the gear already to do it. Yeah. And yeah. you know it's very easy to take do this through Audible, and they'll. I mean, it's so easy to do. Uh, you've got you got everything you need to do that. And I tell you, for for somebody like me or people who travel a lot or people who commute long distances, you know, I'm in the car a lot. You know, so. If I'm not on the bike, I, I won't listen to something like that on a bike because I have to pay attention. But on, in a, when I'm in the car, I'm listening to the audiobook, or and and that's it's so wonderful to have that. It's a real separation, you know. Yeah, no, it's 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 it, it's yeah, it's a really good idea, and I I need to do it. I need to push it up on the priority list because I I've had uh, a lot of people request that. You know, one thing I did do, and it's not out yet, but it will be released this spring, is it doesn't solve the problem of driving it, but a lot of people asked, why don't you put this on Kindle? Well, it's, it's a rich coffee table book. You can't, yeah, I know. you can't put this digitally, but, but you know, on the iPad, you know, the Apple bookstore it used to be called iBooks. I think they yep. just call it books now. Yeah. And, uh, I decided to take my, uh, I couldn't meet the size limitation of the iBook store because it's just it's it's too many photographs and um and I wanted to put some video content that's can't be put in a physical book. I wanted to differentiate it a bit from the physical book. So what I did is I converted um each of those 35 chapters from each one a different country into a mini iBook. So it'll be oh, uh, okay. you know, it'll be you know it'll be 8 or 10 pages and uh, the introduction appears in each of them so right. if somebody only buys one they'll still get the context of that. And then I took content, video content, audio, even even one of my one or two of my podcasts I embedded into these iBooks so somebody could you know have a uh, a more rich experience and also the photographs really look great on an iPad. And in, in, in a printed book, you know, I, I printed it on uh, not not uh, a coded or a glossy text, sure, glossy yeah. paper, because it's really, it's raw, it's motorcycling, it's yeah. not to be shiny. But um, but anyway. Well, what about, what about uh, the, this, because there are plenty of self-publishing companies out there that will gladly yeah. do that. Is that is that where the way you went with this? No, Ben. I used my skills from the past of working in marketing and branding. So I had the design skills, I had the marketing and the branding. And, um, so, and I, um, so I did it myself Wow. and I, I also, you know, this as self publishing has become 
hotter and hotter over the last, say, 10 years, I knew I knew how to do it. And okay. it just it was a matter of um, distribution. Right. Yeah. So, so distribution is key. And one of the things that I did do is I partnered with an independent publishers group uh, out of Chicago. They're the largest independent distributor. And they they have a division called Small Press United. Uh, and I was able to they you're allowed to submit it just like you would to an agent or to a publisher. You submit your book and they will accept whether or not to distribute it. Right. And my book was very, you know, it's very rich. It's very good. You know, it's very professional. You'd never think of it as a self-published book. And they accepted it. So that immediately gave me long distribution. So it got to get to Amazon. It got on the usual. Um, uh, it was in Barnes and Noble stores across the country. And and, and that was a, a, a something I just had to go and, and yeah. sell. Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. So, you know, it's funny, the, the title, when I looked up the title on Amazon, we mentioned this earlier. If you type in forks, you get books about forks. So you got you have to you have to preface it with motorcycle forks, but then you get a book about maintenance. And so it's 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 an interesting thing when you try to search for it. So it's best to search for it by the author name. Yeah, I, you, yeah. What I do when I if I'm just like myself, I just will go into Google and just type forks Allen or forks Carl. Yeah, and it comes it comes up uh, at the top. But you're right, and not only books about forks, it also comes up with like if you want to buy a fork for your for your kitchen. It, you know, <laughs> there you go. So one yeah. of the interesting things I saw is that uh, you competed in the uh, the Dakar Rally. Yeah, and and I competed on teams. The way I phrase that so that they don't I don't want to mislead anybody that I actually raced in the Dakar. But what I did is I supported a private. Uh, Privateer, as they're called. Okay, so yeah, self-funded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his name is Rob Rill. Um, he is a, 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 a guy I met. Uh, he fo- started following my blog and my podcast over the year, and we became friends. Um, and his dream was always to race. He likes cars. He's more of a car guy than a motorcycle guy. So he raced a 4x4, uh, four four, a thing called the Desert Warrior. It's, it's like a Range Rover kind of vehicle. Okay. And... Um, it's a very expensive endeavor to do this if you don't have sponsors from a tire or a I car hear company. That. Yeah, I hear that. The car is super expensive to get into. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm. I'm thinking it's a million dollars. Yes, to that's get what into I believe. Thing. That's what it is. Yeah. So he invited me, and hired me to join the team to act as a translator because I can speak Spanish, as well as the team photographer. So I got to drive in uh, the chase vehicles, yeah, and um, from basically uh, Buenos Aires all the way up to Lima, Peru, going through the um, the uh, some of the same roads I had been on in my trip just a few years earlier. So it was uh, it was really good, and you know you have to the anybody follows the Dakar the. You don't stay in any hotels. They they have Ooh. these. They build these these things called bivouacs. The bivouac, you know? yes. <laughs> and um, and it's a crazy thing because all night long, whether it's a motorcyclist or a car or a truck, uh, a truck, they are working and the lights are bright and the uh, the power equipment. You know, they're changing tires. They're rebuilding engines. I mean, it is absolutely insane. Um, I wonder how anybody how sleeps much. during that. It's just, it's insane. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's it, it's crazy. But so um, he didn't finish because uh, he got some problems with the vehicle and uh, you know missed a check-in time. So he kind of was, uh, you know, the the French organization. It, it's kind of like FIFA. Um, what the heck is it called? Anyway, they they disqualified him. Uh, so he couldn't finish. But what he did do is he still drove and, um, um, you know, t- rode the route, okay. but just didn't, you know, didn't qualify. Oh, and okay. uh, it was a, it was a one once in a lifetime experience because you have so much respect. This is the hardest motorsport race in the world. Oh yeah, oh, and it's yeah. going on right now. It's, oh, it is. It's going it is, on right it is now. happening right so- now. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Well, that's amazing. Would you do it again? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. I, 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 I will breathe the dust. I'll, you know, get covered in oil and, uh, you know, and, 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 and battle horrible conditions just to, to, to try to find somebody, help them and uh, yeah. keep in touch. Wow. You, and, you, uh, I have to imagine that when you returned home, finally, you must have slept for 24 hours straight. Oh, yeah. I mean, crazy crazy just relax because not only that you had the, the the jet lag on top of it sure like, oh my god yeah yeah I, yeah i imagine you also you probably lost a lot of weight yeah the food the food in the bivouac is not so good neither is the um neither is the wine yeah well, <laughs> yeah that's of course that'd be a bummer hey tell us about world rider travel and tours so this is something that's kind of new um, a few years ago, I was approached by um, a, a tour operator out of Portugal. The Douro River in northern Portugal and that whole region, which is a wine region, it's a culinary region, it's rich in culture. He um, wanted to do some motorcycle tours. So he invited me to be almost like a celebrity uh, rider and go along and, right. and um, you know, kind of high end, you know, not cheap. And um, so I kind of partnered with him on that, and you know we didn't we didn't do uh, you know it didn't grow into a, a a big business at that time because I had uh, been working on a television show which sure, uh, yeah. is 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 going on so I had to kind of pull back on that, but um, we are planning on um, doing that again and now out of my experiences I just had the last two years in Eastern Europe, which is some of the, it's, it's really cost effective. It's got some great riding. Um, Romania has the Transfogosian, uh, highway. This one of the greatest motorcycle roads in the world. And, um, and we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to partner with tour operators in that area, offer it through my website and, um, and give people an experience that's not only motorcycling, but it's also culinary and wine and food or you know spirits and these kinds of things so it's uh, uh obviously not while driving but uh, at the end of the day rewarded with good food and a good glass of wine oh yeah absolutely now what's this about a tv show yeah so i did a tv show on the travel channel cooking channel uh a pilot ran in march of 2018 and uh, it's it's something i'd been working on since the book came out all things kind of um came together and it was called Food Explorer. Not my idea, the title. The original idea was it was a, a show called Beyond Borders and to show people, you know, the kindness of strangers, the richer culture, sure. um, as well as the food. Anyway, um, it aired. And that same week it aired is when scripts 
um, the people that own Food Network, Travel Channel, uh, Cooking Channel, HGTV, and these kinds of things, they merged with Discovery Channel. Uh So all of a sudden, all the people that worked on my show were transferred either over to the Food Network or over to Discovery. And I kind of got lost in the uh, in the shuffle as they rebranded everything. Uh, so we're still um, pitching that show. Um, we filmed. I filmed in China, Mexico, and Iceland. Um, oh, nice! Yeah, it's really good. I'll send you a, a, a link to. Uh, All right, great, cool. To, to to some of that footage, but yeah. So stay tuned. There's more coming. I oh, think, perfect! Awesome. So how can people learn more about you and World Rider and maybe participate or, or help out? Yeah, so um, we're, the World Rider website is worldrider.com. Uh, switch, choose the travel log. That's uh, the you know, worldrider.com slash blog. And you can follow my adventures there. You should also go over to youtube.com slash worldrider. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and you know, see some of the videos that go back for 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 many years. I mean, it's 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 great. It's a great archive, from everything from just this last uh, fall all the way back to uh, to those days in um, in Bolivia and Mexico uh, at the beginning of my original journey. Right. Um, and then, of course, you can find me on Instagram as World Rider. Everything's World Rider. And um, I noticed that there I, isn't a link to your YouTube channel on your website. Well, then I'm going to have to fix that because <laughs> that's yeah. terrible. Oh, uh, wait a minute. And, uh, and I, you know, a tiny link. Yeah, there is a tiny link. I'm sorry. I just I just saw it. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, is it's real small. One? You might want to make that okay. a little bigger. Okay, cool. I will do that. <laughs> All right, so, and, and, you know, and I do have a podcast as well. And, yeah, you know, I always, I always uh, uh, go back to, uh, to you, Ted. Maybe I need to have you as a guest. Or if anybody has a recommendation of a traveler who's out there, um, traveling uh, and would like to uh, to share their experiences on the World Rider podcast. I'm always open to that too. Awesome. So I just had uh, um, Graham Field on. Oh wow! Yeah, I just had him on. Uh, uh, I think two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Is that is that up and live now? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay. And I had uh, I had Sam Manicom on and Jeremy Craker. Yeah, I I love both Sam and Jeremy. In yeah, fact, I. Guys. Jer- Jeremy's motorcycle uh, messengers, the, the the books he's been putting <laughs> yes, out. So, yeah. so I contributed on the um, on the last one. So I've got a a, a story in in that one. Oh, good. Uh, and Sam is a uh, he's just a wonder. He's a he's, great he's writer. A, yes, yes. Um, well, speaking of Jeremy, he is currently riding down through South America right now as we speak. Oh, is he? He okay. is. Yes, and he's got a female companion with him this time. Oh, okay. So, I see how it is. I, I'm, I'm anticipating another book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what's next for you? You know, be, you know we're, um, hopefully we can get this television show, show sold. I want to get that book, Quarks, out. And um, and uh, this, this summer, I will return to uh, Eastern Europe and Central Asia and... Or, or maybe Northern Africa. I'm, I'm trying to decide. In fact, if anybody has any recommendations, I got I, I, I could go to Uzbekistan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, and, uh, all the way to Kazakhstan, and then through Mongolia. Or I can go down to Libya, Algiers, Tunisia, to Morocco, because um, my bike right now is sitting in a garage in Athens, Greece. Oh, so I will so I will fly I will fly to meet the bike and um, take it and go there. somewhere. 
Take her yeah. from there. Wow. Okay. Uh, nor- don't go north, I would say. Don't go north. Yeah. Because it'll get cold. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right. Uh, yes any uh, any last words of encouragement or comments to our would-be world travelers out there? You know, I think the most important thing for people, you know, and I, and I do a lot of speaking too, you know, and I, I love telling stories. And um, any experience is uh, sometimes tough and rough, like breaking a leg in Bolivia. But every experience you have is a story you can tell later. And it's always tough to think of that. And I'd like to tell people that um, a, lot of, a lot of fear and is and, you know, permeates people's decision, uh, their decisions. You know, they're afraid to do something. And I say, um, don't be afraid. Be open. Open to new experiences. Try different food. Um, you know, just go to different places. Yeah. For the most part, the world is a safe place, and people are friendly and happy and they're more curious about you than you are so be open stay curious and never stop exploring all right perfect all right alan i want to thank you very much for joining me here on a motorcycle men podcast uh stay tuned uh, stick around i want to talk to you afterwards and uh we'll have uh, this video this uh podcast up very soon for you everyone to hear be a beautiful thing thank you very much for joining me oh it's so great thank you ted i really love it and i uh look forward to continue uh podcast and i want to be um wait you hit that 300 number i know it's coming thank you very much sir thank you for joining me and alan here on the motorcycle man podcast where we learned all about the world rider podcast and his global travels you can learn more about world rider by going to worldrider.com And a link will be in the show notes and, of course, on the Motorcycle Men website. Now, don't forget to check out our fellow podcasters, YouTubers, bloggers, and vloggers, whose links you will find on our links page. And all these media outlets and many more out there do great things to promote and encourage this sport and passion that we take part in. So, from Tim Buck to Chris the Joker, Justin Tugboat Shoes, and me, Ted Wrongway, your host... Thanks for listening to the Motorcycle Men Podcast, where we say stupid crap so you don't have to. Enjoy your ride, kids. <laughs>